On round one today, Scott Reed is here, CTV political commentator, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin, Deb Hutton, former advisor to two Ontario premiers, and Jerry Agar from the Jerry Agar Show, airing right here on the Mighty 1010 from 10 a.m. to noon. Good morning, everybody. And I want to split this uh, first topic into two topics. So set aside Ontario Place for a moment, because I think it's a standalone. But I want to hear your thoughts on this deal, Toronto and the province reaching an historic deal. And Deb Hutton, maybe I'm gushing, but I just I don't think it's possible to exaggerate how critically important this is to the future of Toronto and how amazing it is that Olivia Chow and Doug Ford could reach it. Yeah, and listen, I think first and foremost, certainty for the next few years is good. More money for transit is good. Uh, a deal around more housing, which the city says it will it will do, is good. Putting pressure on Trudeau for not poning up money around refugee shelters is good. All of it is great. Here's my only caveat. That hug between Doug and Olivia has to mean something. And the city has to know and has to make sure that they fit into this deal, that there's no more putting your hand out for the length of this deal. And that means some fiscal responsibility, which I'm not confident we're going to see. But you, I will, right. I will cross from my the fingers from the city, hundred percent from, from the city, because it falls apart if they say, oh, but we just need a little bit more. We just need a little bit more. And, and I'm worried that's what we're going to see. So if this deal, this hug means something, I'm all for it. Uh, Scott Reed, hugs are not common in politics. Well, they are between colleagues, I guess, but uh, not necessarily between a mayor and a premier. Well, look, I don't like everything about this deal, but it's a deal if I was advising a mayor of Toronto, I would have said do it. And, and Chow has done it. I think the most fascinating thing about this is the thing you're celebrating, John, which is you've got the avowed principled politician, principled progressive politician, political leader, and new Democrat, Olivia Chow, in the, in the mayor's office, working with Doug Ford, the conservative. And that is a positive thing. I think, though, I want to underscore that this puts an end to something. And what it puts an end to is Olivia Chow and, you know, the so-called progressive council members' ability to ever again portray themselves as above and apart from transactional, you know, brokerage politics. They cut a deal, man. They cut a deal. And I know we're going to get to Ontario Place, but they floated Ontario Place on down the Don River as a consequence of it. They made other transactions and trade-offs for it. And I would have made it. My only proviso is this. I don't want to hear these people and I don't want to hear Olivia Chow again ever, you know, taking upon herself the mantle of the slightly better than the rest of you because I'm a new Democrat, because I'm a principled progressive. I don't want to ever hear them wear that mantle again. This was a raw checkbook deal, raw politics. And by the way, she left Mart Styles swinging in the wind. Well, my first thought was this is remarkable from two people who it wasn't very many months ago where we were hearing that if she were elected, it would be an unmitigated disaster for Toronto. Who said that? The guy she hugged. Yeah, there's got to be a hug a dug button in this thing somewhere. <laughs> uh, but, but, um, it, it, yes, maybe it's pure politics. But I don't, I, I don't find a way to say this is a, a loss for Toronto. Interesting analysis there from, uh, from Deb of how it might handicap her a little bit. Uh, not Deb, I mean Olivia, uh, going forward. But uh, overall, uh, this is a good thing, I think. Okay, so let's get to Ontario Place. And I was somebody pitched. 
me a while back, somebody who has some pretty good insider knowledge on this stuff, and said that's going to be the price of admission. She has to yield on Ontario Place, and she'll get everything that she wants. But Scott, you know, a lot of people are going to be very upset that Ontario Place is now Doug Ford's toy. He paddle boated past Ontario Place during the campaign and told us that she would never abandon Ontario Place. She'd fight to her last breath. Well, sorry, man. She abandoned it. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, and and her team will quietly brief on background and media today, that the reality is that the the city had very little leverage over Ontario Place. So as, uh, you know, in exchange for something as substantial and as permanent as uploading the DVP and the gardener, it just made basic political sense. But I come back to it. That's what this was. This was a raw political deal. And I celebrate that. But I just, uh, the reason I sound like I got a stick up my butt is that I, I've dealt with you know, the so-called progressive gang, and I often agree with them on certain issues, but then they talk about themselves as though they're above and apart from pure politics. This is raw politics. And that video of her paddle boating past Ontario Place and saying, I'll never abandon you, is all the evidence you need that yesterday she sold out Ontario Place. And I'm glad she did, but she did it and she has to own it. Okay, but I have a question for you. This is the thing that I said yesterday, and see if you disagree with me, Scott. It is often very appropriate to hold a politician's feet to the fire on promises they made coming in. But sometimes you got to change your mind to say, I can't hold that promise because I can get a better deal. Hundo percent, brother. 100 percent. But what that doesn't allow you then is after that to return to talking about yourself as though you're a different kind of politician, as though you're somebody that doesn't make transactional trade-offs in, you know, do a cost-benefit analysis. And sometimes that's what you hear from the progressives. Jack Layton, Olivia Chow, a partnership that moved forward the progressive movement by decades. They're both hardcore. Jack was a hardcore, raw politician. That's what they are. And Deb Hutton, just to bat clean up on the whole business of Ontario Place, I'm not sort of religiously opposed to the pitch that's being made right now. I don't know why people are so up in arms. Oh, listen, John, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir with me. I couldn't care less. First and foremost, it is Ontario Place. It's named Ontario Place for a reason. It belongs to the province. So this notion that Olivia and others, as, as Scott says, the progressives on council thought that it was it was theirs to do something with, turn into a big, big, big park, is kind of crazy. All they were going to do is just slow down and waste money on something that belongs to the province. So I think this clears the, the way for whatever the premier's vision is. It's his right to have the vision. But for me, I couldn't care less. I'll take my kids to whatever attraction, wherever in the city it exists. Seems almost counterintuitive to go to this next story. It's about how more and more Ontarians are staying home. And apparently a lot of it is the cost of living. I also think, Jerry, I'll start with you on this one. I also think we fundamentally got rewired during COVID. And it takes an awful lot more to get me out of the house. And it's nothing to do with money. Oh, I think it has a lot to do with money. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's the situation where for most people, especially in the private sector, their uh, their salaries are not increasing and the cost of everything they need to buy is increasing at a real clip. And at some point, responsible people just say, sorry, kids, uh, we're not going out to Boston Pizza every Friday night like we used to or whatever the deal is. Like, it's just people have to draw back somewhere. Okay, Deb, your thoughts? 
So I think it is a combination. I agree with uh, with Jerry completely that things are expensive and you need to stop and think twice, whatever income bracket you're in. I will say, though, and, and again, I've got a family of four. I'm not a single person in the city of Toronto, and I do think that makes a difference. But we developed so many traditions over COVID just to keep our sanity and just to make life interesting, mostly for our kids, but for ourselves as well. And we value those traditions. So movie nights as a family are super important. Sunday night pasta dinner, super important. We actually started doing, because you had to, Christmas Eve on our own, as a lot of folks did. And we do this massive seafood buffet just for the four of us. My oldest daughter and I cook. And honestly, John, I will never go back. I, I dread the day when one of my kids says I'm going to you know, my, my boyfriends or my girlfriends for Christmas <laughs> Eve dinner, because that has become one of the most important things in my family. See, now I want to come over. <laughs> yeah, You're too. not invited. Yeah, exactly. You're not when, invited. When was the seafood dinner yeah. being served? <laughs> you yeah. had me at Massive Seafood Buffet. You should have seen the look on Jerry's face. It was like, seafood. <laughs> seafood. <laughs> uh, you've got more Visions than a... Visions of scallops dance in my head. You got I, I hear all that. People. Yeah, go. It's about cost. I mean, you know, I, I don't really buy that people rewire themselves in a substantial way during COVID. I mean, some of that lingers. But the truth of the matter is that we're seeing this the, uh, this move in these numbers uh, because people can't afford to go and do things that they used to be able to afford to do because they're having to make different choices, having to pay down that credit card, which is galloping ahead now. They're having to pay uh, that much more for their borrowing costs or their mortgage. And, th and, that, and that's, what's, that's what's chewing up everything else that is in people's lives. And, you know, maybe that means they have seafood dinner at home or watch a movie, but uh, that's what's keeping people on their couch, I think. Meanwhile, let's continue with a financial topic here. A poll of American millennials finds they think you need to make $500,000 a year to be happy. Um, Scott, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, as Mark Marin, the comedian, would say, you know, well, good luck with that. I mean, $500,000 a year, I think the last time I checked, the 1% is anything over three seventy nine. I, I hate these polls. I, you know, like, we ask millennials, we ask millennials, you know, would you kick a dog? And 60% of them said yes. And it's just like, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. The truth of the matter is that this generation, and I've got a 25-year-old and a 20-year-old son, they are put upon like nobody in decades. They really, really are. Uh, they emerge from school or from high school or wherever it is, and the jobs aren't there for them. The jobs don't pay like they did when I was growing up, and particularly the upward mobility isn't available to them. They can't own a home. That's beyond their means. It's a rough freaking time out there. So no wonder they think it's going to be half a million. They probably think it's a million dollars because all of this... All the, the grand bargain that seemed available to the rest of us isn't available to them, and therefore it does seem expensive and out of reach. Okay. Jerry, worth noting, my first job in the late 1980s, $12,000 a year. My first job at a radio station was $375 a month. Uh, but if I look back at what I could afford, I thought I was doing okay. And I was actually making more than some of my fellow high school graduates at the time. You know, So, uh, yes, people are put upon. Although, I'm going to take issue with one thing Scott said. And that is, well, they just can't afford a house. 
They can't afford a house in the GTA. You can afford houses all across this country. It's just that people insist on living in the GTA and then complaining about well, it. Good luck going back to the prep room and talking to Donnie about that one. Okay, but the fact of the matter is, uh, a lot of us, uh, I mean, I do my, well, we did our show from home for two years. So clearly we could do this living wherever we want. I could be in Gilbert Plains, Manitoba. They've got the internet there where I'm from. Uh, and what does a house cost there? Like $60,000. Okay, and no, almost no time on the clock, but I'm just curious, uh, Deb, should uh, Jugmeet Singh have to apologize for being publicly photographed with a Versace bag? No, you shouldn't have to apologize, but good luck in the next election. Know your audience, know your brand, know where uh, you know you need to be. He's not pretending he's a self-made silver spoon socialist. He's pretending he's somebody else. And so then to do that is just silly. Here's my big question, John. Yes. Where does all this money come from for his wife to have a designer maternity dress and the best uh, nursing chair in the world and the two Rolex watches and a Versace bag? I actually think there's a real serious issue here, which is, I'm concerned about what's happening. I'll tell you what I care about. Seafood buffet. I know, I want a seafood buffet. <laughs> Man. Okay. I would stuff my Versace bag with squid and octopus. <laughs> Thank you halibut. all. <laughs> oh, no, not the halibut. Uh, Jerry Agar, Deb Hutton, and Scott Reed. It's time for the 8 o'clock news.